Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. So when you hear the divide between minor and major prophets has nothing to do with their level of importance, that this prophet was more important than that one, but has everything to do with the length of their books. <clears throat> so the, the major prophets, their, their books are more lengthy. And the minor prophets, their books are shorter. The major prophets are fewer, and the minor prophets are more. So major prophets being Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then minor prophets being uh, the 12. There are 12 minor prophets. Uh, and that will be um, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, where we are today, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi being the minor prophets. However, the, the prophet Jonah stands out from all the rest. Jonah's a little bit different. Jonah, he, he's, he's built differently, and, and, and God's mission even for Jonah is different. God would typically call the prophets to go to the north or to the south. So he would call his prophets to go to the northern region and proclaim his message there, or he would call them to go to the southern region and proclaim his message there, to the southern kingdom. But Jonah, God calls to go, not north or south, but God calls him to go east. And Jonah decides that actually he's going to go west. So Jonah does his own thing. God would, would typically um, call his prophets to minister to his people, to speak to Israel, to speak to the Hebrews. But God calls Jonah to speak to non-Jewish people. He calls him to speak to Gentiles. So, so his, his whole mission is different. And as you read the, the scriptures, there's this phrase that's very common regarding the prophets, and it's this, the word of the Lord came to and the word of the Lord came to, and the word of the Lord came to. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. And the word of the Lord would, would come to these prophets, and typically they would respond favorably in an act of obedience to the word of the Lord coming to them. Even if at, at first they were hesitant. Even if at first they presented excuses to the Lord as to, why they were not the right choice to go and proclaim his word, but they would always act in obedience to what God called them to do. But Jonah. Somebody say, but Jonah. But Jonah. Jonah's built differently. Jonah is the, is the only prophet to, to openly... And, and, and completely reject the word of the Lord that came to him. He's the, he's the only prophet to do that. To just completely reject God's word completely. And say, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not going. He's, he's the only one. So, so Jonah was a prophet. Maybe hard to believe, but he was. He was a prophet called by God. And the book of Jonah conveys how the word of the Lord, how the word of God came to Jonah during the time of Jeroboam II in the 8th century BC. But the book was probably written a little bit later than that. The book of Jonah is also unique 
and all the other prophetic books and the fact that it focuses on a story about a prophet rather than the, the oracles of God that, that, that came forth from the prophet. In fact, the book of John only has a, a single sentence of prophecy. So again, Jonah, the book, is different because it speaks about a prophet more than the oracles of God. And there's only a single sentence in the, in the four chapters. And it's in Jonah chapter 3, uh, the, the single sentence of prophecy. And we'll get to that, God willing, in a, in a couple weeks. So the, the story concerns God's call to Jonah to warn the people of Nineveh of the coming destruction. The book is structured with, with two main acts and two main scenes within both acts. And the repetition of God's command to go to Nineveh is the beginning of each act of Jonah. The first scene is set on a ship as Jonah tries to avoid the Ninevite mission by which he has been called, and that's where we will begin today. So I've entitled today's message, Jonah versus God. And today I want to draw your attention to three things. Number one, sin before the storm. Number two, sovereignty in the storm. And number three, salvation after the storm. Sin before the storm, sovereignty in the storm, salvation after the storm. Jonah chapter 1. Let's begin. We're going to do uh, verses 1 through 3. By the way, the, the, uh, Jonah's name means, means dove. Means dove. So, so sin before the storm, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. I think it's important for me to mention that this was not the first time that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai, in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 29. And we're told there that, that Jonah, son of Amittai, came from Gath Hefer, a little place in the uh, territory of Zebulun. That's where Jonah's from. Now, the account in 2 Kings chapter 14 basically reveals to us that Jonah was, was alive during the time of Jeroboam II, because he was king during that time. And 2 Kings 14 and verse 25 says this, and I'm reading this for a reason. 2 Kings 14 verse 25. He, speaking of Jeroboam, who was the king around the time of, of Jonah, he, Jeroboam, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath, Hefer. So, so by the word of the Lord through Jonah, Jeroboam secured the, the frontier towns and the borders of the land. So God had used Jonah previously to, to bring his word to King Jeroboam, and Jonah responded in obedience. 
So I said that in order to say this. God had used Jonah before. God had used Jonah before, and Jonah was obedient before. Just because you were walking in obedience and you were on fire for the Lord 10 years ago doesn't mean that you're walking in obedience and are on fire for the Lord today. Just, just because you were walking in obedience yesterday does not mean that you are walking in obedience today. The word of the Lord had come to Jonah and Jonah had responded and there was fruit from that. But now the word of the Lord comes, comes to Jonah and we're going to see how he responds to that. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Verse 1 says, now we don't know how the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Whether it was through a vision or through a dream, whether it was through a person or a circumstance, whether it was through an, an audible voice or an, an internal impression. All we know is that the word of the Lord came. Doesn't matter how it came, but it came. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and Jonah knew that it was God speaking to him. So then, what did God say? Because whatever he says is relevant and important. Verse 2, this is what God said. He said, Arise, go to Nineveh. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and this is what he said. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come before me. Their wickedness has come before me. Now let me give you some, some quick context. Nineveh today is Mosul. A city in, in Iraq. This is where the, um, the ISIS headquarters was. So this story, interestingly, is by no means outdated. A Jewish person today would still have major issues in, in going to Mosul to deliver any kind of message. A, a, a Christian as well and, and an American would have issues going to Mosul to deliver any kind of message. In, in fact, my, um, I just had the opportunity to, to pray with my neighbor this, this past week as he left for a one-year deployment to Iraq. And I can tell you that he, he was not excited to go. He wasn't excited to go. But he's, he's following orders. So he, he left this past... It's past Wednesday. So back to the historical context. So God said they were a wicked people. And then we see um, Nineveh, Nineveh, the, the great city, it says. The actual city itself was, was three miles long, or the city center was three miles long by, by one mile wide. And, and the city of Nineveh had what they called the, the greater the greater area, or the, or the greater um, Nineveh region. And the greater Nineveh region extended from, from about 10 miles wide and 30 miles long. So 10 miles wide and 30 miles 
long. And this is the capital of Assyria. So Assyria, again, nothing to play with. Okay? They, they had a super strong empire during this time. And around 900 BC is when their, their empire was on point. And their empire reigned until about 600 BC when the Babylonians um, conquered them. And the Babylonians um, and the um, Assyrians, they were, they were always in competition. Because Babylon and, and Assyria, they were two great places. And they were often in competition, only about uh, 300 miles apart. Um, so, this is Assyria. It's one of the, the oldest cities in the world. First mentioned in the book of Genesis. And some of you guys will um, have heard this name before. It, it was founded by a man in Genesis by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod's the one who, who founded uh, and established and built this place. Nineveh was a three-day journey, the Bible says, to pass through. That would be about 10 miles per day. And there was 120,000 babies, um, infants or toddlers, the Bible says, that didn't know the difference. They were young enough where they didn't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. So they were babies. But the, the city had over 1 million people. And God is calling Jonah to go to this people. They were wicked. They were cruel. They were brutal. They, they had a very fierce reputation of, of disfiguring their POWs. They would, they would chop their limbs off. They would, they would torture them. And in fact, history also tells us that many times when the Assyrians would... Would, uh, would take a city under siege. Many times the people, the inhabitants of that city, they would commit suicide for fear of being taken captive by the Assyrians. So they were a, a, a brutal and, and ruthless people. Now, before, before Jonah's time, I'm giving you guys context here. Now, even before Jonah's time, the, the Assyrians had come against Israel in the past under the rule of, of Sargon and they, had, and they had, uh, had conquered them. So Israel has a, has a history. They, they understand how these people move, how they operate, how they function. Israel, they know that. Jonah is aware of who these people are. Israel had a history with this city and would have known firsthand, again, their evil and their corrupt ways. So Jonah knew that this people, they were an, an enemy to his people. They, they were enemies. Somebody say, obedience doesn't need to make sense. You know, I, I you know... Um, when God's telling you to do something, you just do it. But, I'm going to say this. I understand where Jonah's reasoning comes from. Right? I understand his reasoning for, for not wanting to go to these wicked, uh, evil people. I understand. I, 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 I get 
where he's coming from. So, what do you do when God is telling you to do something that you don't want to do? It's my question for you this morning. What do you do when, when God is telling you to do something that you don't want to do? When God is telling you to do something that is completely irrational, according to your little puny mind's way of thinking, what do you do? When, when in your little mind it just doesn't make sense to you, and it just doesn't seem rational, why, why would I do that? Everything I think, everything I believe, everything I, I sense in here, everything I feel tells me not to. But God is telling me to. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, for He shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. He knows best. He, he always knows best. So what did Jonah do? Verse number three. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah arose, he's received word from the Lord, direct word, he knows it's God, he has no doubts that God is speaking to him. He knows God's speaking to him. And this is his response. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down. Notice the word down here. Jonah went down to Joppa. This word caught my attention as we see it or, or similar words all throughout the book of Jonah. We'll see it again and again. Jonah fleeing from the presence of the Lord is the beginning of him going downward. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went, again, that word down, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. There are two types of believers. The one who, who really struggles to hear the voice of God. They really, they really struggle to, to hear and to discern the voice of God, but by golly, when they, when they hear it, when they hear God's voice, they do it. It may take them a while to discern it, to hear what he's saying, but when they know what he's saying, obedience is the only option. And then you have people who don't struggle as much with, with hearing the word of the Lord, the voice of God. Their, their issue is Obedience. That's their issue. And let me just make this, make this clear so I can bring it home. Right? The primary way in which God speaks is through his word, his written word. So then, we have all been 
in disobedience of, of the written word of God, of what we've heard him say. We know it's God's word, we believe it's God's word, but there are still areas where, where we have all been in disobedience. No different than Jonah, no different. So Jonah was from the, the small Galilean city of, of Gath Hefer, which was about two miles north of Nazareth. From Nazareth, he makes the, the 65 mile trip to a place called Joppa, which is modern day Jaffa, Tel Aviv. So he travels from, from Nazareth and he makes the 65 mile trip to Joppa. And, and from Joppa, which is a port city, from, from Joppa, instead of him heading east to Nineveh, which would have been about 700 miles, Jonah decides that I'm actually, I'm going to head west. I'm going to head towards Tarshish, which was literally the, the most distant city in the known world at the time. So Jonah's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going off the, off the map. He's like, I'm going, I'm going to Tarshish, right, right on the edge west, right on the edge of Spain. 3,000 miles, he said, that's where I'm going. That was his intention. So he's, he's in Joppa, and from Joppa, the port city, he can be obedient and, and, and begin his, his 700-mile trip to Nineveh, but he says, I'm not going east, I'm going west. And he begins the 3,000-mile journey, heading in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Sin is deceiving. Sin is deceiving. Let me tell you what I mean. It will, it will lie to you, and if you listen to it, you will believe it. Sin is deceiving. It will lie to you, and if you listen to it and begin to meditate upon it, you will believe it. Do you know that Jonah really believed that he could pull this off? This guy thought he could pull this off. He said, I am going to Tarshish. That, that's where I'm going. I, I will not do what God told me to do. And he believed it. He, he believed that he had the power and the ability to, to actually do it. He believed it. The, the audacity to, to believe that you somehow know better than God. I know better. I know what's best for me and I know where I need to be right now. And Jonah believed it wholeheartedly. The proof, he, he even he paid the fare. It cost him something. He, he believed in this. It cost him something. He was committed to this. He was invested in this. And when Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord, he was abandoning his God, his call, and his mission. He was saying that I'm, I'm done with the ministry, is what he was saying. I'm, 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 I'm done with being a prophet. I'm no longer going to be a prophet. 
uh, and I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. Sin is also irrational. Jonah knew the Psalms. We, we know that Jonah knew the Psalms because in Jonah chapter 2, which we'll get to God willing next week, Jonah quotes the Psalms. So Jonah knew the Psalms. So Jonah had to know Psalm 139. But, but sin is irrational. Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12, says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You know what that, that reminds me of? That reminds me of some of you. You know the word. We'll see next week. Jonah, quoting from Psalms. Jonah knew the Psalms. You, you too, some of you, know the word. You know God's word. You know what it says. But your sin and your stubbornness tricks you into believing that you can continue in the error of your ways and be okay. That's what sin will do. This is, this is Jonah's sin here that we're speaking about. His, his sin of disobedience, his, his rebellion, his, his stubbornness. To believe that he could pull off a stunt against God and get away with it. That he could openly just, just, just reject him without consequence. Sin is deceitful. Sin is irrational. Sin will raise you up to think that you're somebody that you're not. Man, I can... I can be okay. As you've heard me say, can a man take fire into his bosom from Proverbs and not be burned? No. You can't play with sin and not get burned. There are always consequences for disobedience and Jonah had no idea that a storm was brewing. He had no idea. And like I told you before, I, I, I understand. And I want to say this again. I understand why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. I, I get it. Like, it makes sense to me. 
Right? Like, like I, I understand where he's coming from. The, the things that I shared about you, the things I shared with you about Nineveh, that's enough reason to not want to go to Nineveh. And, and if Jonah was here, I believe he would present a better case to you as to why he shouldn't go to Nineveh than I did. Maybe Jonah even knew some folks that were victims from the Assyrians. Maybe he knew some, some folks that they had that they'd hurt in the past. I'm just speculating here. But maybe. Proverbs says that he who presents his case first seems right. And I'm sure that if we all heard from Jonah presenting his case, that we would have said, man, I get it. I get it, Jonah. But the rest of that verse says this, he who presents his case seems right until his neighbor cross-examines him. God here is doing the cross-examination. So he doesn't stand a chance. God cross-examines him. And he doesn't stand a chance. He who presents his case first seems right. And I wonder if, if for Jonah, this, this just seemed so right. It just, you know, it just, it just felt right for him. And that's usually what we do. It, it seems, it seems right. And if it seems right, you know, our intentions are right. And it just, it just seems right. So I'm going to do what seems right to me. And just like Jonah, we have these, these areas of, of stubbornness and rebellion towards the Lord and disobedience that we have justified before Him. The world that we live in, let me give you an example, the world that we live in has, has justified and says that it's okay to kill an unborn child. They, they, they have... You, you know, I, I, I presented to you Jonah's story. They have a story. And it, and, it, and it justifies. It justifies why it's okay. I'm not ready to be a mom. I want to finish college. Period. That's it. And somehow that, 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 that justifies it and it makes it Okay, listen to me. Every single person can attach a story to their sin. And it will never justify it. Every single person can attach a story to their sin and it will never, ever justify it. Never. For the Creator has spoken and that settles it. Amen. Another one. Our society says, people say, I, I, just, I just don't think it's fair that two men who, who, who love each other, that want, that want to be together, that have feelings that they can't help for one another, that want to build a family together and adopt children, I, I, just, I just don't see why 
There's a problem with it. Is what our society says. I just, I just, I just don't, I just don't, I just don't see it. And they'll, and they'll present their story. And sometimes, if we're honest, their stories are moving. People can tell some very moving stories with, with emotions attached to it. And I, and I hear them. I hear you. But I don't agree with you. Because God says it's sin. And that settles it. It doesn't matter what, what story you, you attach to your sin. That does not justify it. God has spoken and that settles it. Whether I understand it or I don't. But we just don't believe like that. We, we believe like Jonah and we think that we can successfully proceed in the opposite direction of what God's will is and that it will be okay for us. No. 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 A deadly storm is coming. A deadly storm is coming. This section is sin before the storm. There is a way, the Bible says in Proverbs, there is a way that seems, again that word seems, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but its end leads to destruction. We're a generation today of feelings. We just act off of impulse and feelings. We just do what, what seems right. Well, the Bible says there is a way that seems right. There are many things that, that seem right to you. But it will lead to death and ultimate destruction. Take heed. As Proverbs cries out to you from the rooftops, take heed. Jonah's will here differs from God's, right? Jonah doesn't want to warn the people of the coming destruction. That's clear. He just wants them to be destroyed. He doesn't want them to be saved. He just wants the people to be destroyed. He, he knows God, and also he knows that, that this message that he brings to them, this, this message of, um, of destruction, Jonah, because he knows God, right, he knows that it's possible that if I deliver this message, right, some people, there's a possibility that some people may turn and repent. And now, if they repent, because I know God now, He likes to do this. If they repent, now God's going to go ahead and forgive them. Now, God may even do this. God may even save the entire city just because of a few people that repent. So Jonah's like, I want nothing to do with this. Because I want the people, my will is that these people be destroyed. They, they deserve to be destroyed for their sin. I don't like them, and I don't want them to be saved. So that's Jonah's will. It differs from God's will. So Jonah does not want to preach to the, the Gentiles. Let me make this last point before we move on here. So Jonah doesn't want to preach to the Gentiles, so he goes to Joppa. Make note of this. So, so Jonah doesn't want to preach to the Gentiles, right? So he goes to a place called Joppa. Now, interestingly... 
it was 800 years or so later, right, that, that Peter was in Joppa, right? Peter is, is in Joppa and he's on the rooftop of, of Simon the Tanner. And it's in that place in Joppa where the Lord gives him a vision with the, with the white sheet and the, and the animals coming down, the former unclean animals. And God sent him to the Gentiles with the gospel. So the very same place that Jonah traveled to in order to, to run from delivering the gospel to the Gentiles is the very same place where the Spirit of God led Peter to in order to give him a revelation and to call him to go to the Gentiles. It all took place in, in Joppa. Number two, verses four through nine, sovereignty in the storm. Verses one through three, we just read sin before the storm. Point two, sovereignty in the storm. Verses four through nine, God's sovereignty. But the Lord, verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah, but Jonah had gone down, there's the word again, down, He's going down, down, down. Chapter 2, we'll see he's, he's going into the deep, deep, deep places. But Jonah is on this downward spiral. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. Had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people? Are you? So he said to them, verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Let me just uh, point out here. This is a, this is a personal private issue between God and Jonah, right? This is, this is a personal matter, right? This is between, between God and between Jonah. This ain't got nothing to do with, with anybody else but God and Jonah. I remember um, 2000, uh, I think it was like 2006 times 2007 maybe 
I remember a, um, a friend who I, who I grew up with, um, Lorne. Grew up with Lorne, and, uh, and Lorne had a, had a rough life, you know. We went to school together, good friend, um, and his, his dad passed away when he was 15, 16, and then six months later, his mom passed away. Um, he's 16 years old. We graduate at 16 in the UK. So he's in his last year of school, both his parents die, um, and he has his little sister and little brother, and he's taking care of them. Lorn um, became the, the, the youngest, um, youngest player in the NFL, um, youngest player at the time. Um, and he was from England, from London, and he was, um, he was playing for the, the Oakland Raiders. And, um, and just career was, was taken off. I mean, was, was, doing, was doing great. And then Lorne um, went home back to London around 06 for, for, New, Year's, for New Year's party. And, um, and as, he was, as he was walking in the streets, there were two guys in a confrontation. They were arguing. And Lorne's a big guy. And, um, and, and, and the guy who the other guy was arguing with basically thought that Lorne was the other guy's friend. And he was, and he was coming to intervene. So he pulled out his gun and, and shot him like seven, eight times. And, um, and Lorne uh, obviously, I mean, lost a lot of blood, a lot of weight, you know. Um, so, you know, I went to, I went back home in like, 07, 08, and, and saw him and, and, um, and prayed with him and stuff. And um, by the grace of God, he survived. Praise God. But he got caught up in a situation that had nothing to do with him. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. And by the way, he's, you know, he's, his career ended. Um, but he got caught up in a situation that had nothing to do with him. Nothing to do with him whatsoever. Just walking down the street, wrong place, wrong time. This is a personal, private issue between God and Jonah. It has nothing to do with, with, with anybody else. Yet there were other people in this story that were affected by Jonah's sin. Everybody around Jonah was affected by his sin. Your disobedience affects others. I want you to understand that. Your disobedience and your sin does not only affect you, but it affects others. There's, a, there's an old uh, proverb that I'm thinking of in the Old Testament. Um, I think it's in, in, a, in, in Ecclesiastes, they mention it, but, um, but it says this, the, the, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge. Basically, their, their teeth are messed up or jacked up because of the sour grapes that the fathers have eaten. Right? What you, what you consume, what you partake of, doesn't only affect you, but it will affect generations after you. And it will affect those around you. So your disobedience affects others. In, in Joshua chapter 7, and we won't read it, but Joshua chapter 7, we have a man by the name of, of Achan, Achan's sin, 
the, the Israelite army, they're, they're going against the enemies and they're more than able to conquer them. But a man by the name of, of Achan had, had sinned. In a previous battle, the Lord told, told the Israelites, don't take anything, don't collect the spoil. After you destroy them, leave everything there. And Achan saw some stuff that he liked. And he said, but that's, that's good. That's good though. Why would I leave this here? So he took some stuff and he hid it in his tent. So now the Israelites, they go to their next battle. They're victorious. They're winning battles. They're, they're confident. God's with them. They go to the next battle and they lose. And the Bible says, I think it's 37 men die. And then Joshua comes back and he's like, God, what happened? And God basically tells him about Achan. Achan's sin. And then obviously they, they took Achan and his family and, and stoned him and took care of that. But Achan's sin, 30 other people died because of his sin. Because of Achan's sin. So, so your sin doesn't only affect, affect you, but it affects, it affects others. Amen. Let me, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read this, this either. But, but, uh, but one more point. I just, um, when David, when David counted the people, I had, I had to find it real quick. When, when, when David counted the people, um, so, so God had told David, basically to, you know, to, um, uh, they were about to go to battle, and uh, David decided to count the people because he didn't trust in in the Lord, right? So David counts the people, and because of David counting the people because he didn't trust in the Lord, um, I believe it was like 70,000 people died because of David's sin and because of David's disobedience. So I want to stress that point. (laughs) Again, sin, your sin and your disobedience doesn't only affect you, but it affects Others. There, there is a storm attached to every sin. There is a storm attached to every single sin. Disobedience is not a small thing. And I believe and I know that we should, we should rightfully be slain by God at our first moment of disobedience. Rightfully so. We should be. At our first moment of disobedience, we should be slain by the Lord. So please don't take his, his grace for granted. How, how might we live if we knew that our intentional, deliberate disobedience to God's word may put my life at risk in that very moment? How, how might you live if you knew that your disobedience to the Lord could put your very life at risk in that very moment. There's a, a deception element again to sin. And it's this, right? When the, when the punishment for sin doesn't come quickly, Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do them. So basically, when, when judgment doesn't come quickly, Sometimes people get confident in their sin because I'm, I'm in it and I don't see a consequence. 
So they continue in it until destruction. But I'm telling you, I see a cloud, a storm is coming, and, and death is on the way. For the wages of sin is just that, death. I was, um, I was thinking about this as I was studying, about peace. I hear, I hear a lot of uh, believers speak about peace, and the Bible speaks about peace. But do you guys know that, that Jonah probably didn't have, right, there were two kinds of peace. Jonah probably didn't have peace, right, about going to Nineveh. Right, we can attach that to the, the seams, the seams, right, right? He didn't have, have peace about going to Nineveh. In fact, it seems as though Jonah had peace, actually, about going to Tarshish. Because he's on the boat, he, he's snoring, he's sleeping, he, he's sleeping good, actually. So it seemed like he, he had peace about going to Tarshish. They're in a storm, he's asleep. So many times I've seen believers confuse their own peace with the peace of God. I've, I've seen that many times. Where they confuse their own peace with the peace of God. And oftentimes when they say, you know, I, I just don't have peace about that. What they really mean is, I just don't feel like doing that. I mean, it, it's true. <laughs> when they say, I don't feel peace about that, what they're saying is, I, I, just, I just don't feel like doing it. So don't confuse your peace with God's peace and end up in disobedience. When, when God tells you to do something as his servant, he could care less if you feel like it or not. He could care less whether you feel like doing it or not. And all of our military people understand that. When they receive a command from their commanding officer or whoever's over them, right, the, the, the commanding officer isn't concerned about how they feel. But he gives them the command. He gives them the charge and they just do it. They just do it. So he isn't instructing you based on your preferences and your feelings. No, he's just giving you instruction. I just, you know, I, I just don't have peace. I don't have peace about, about loving my wife. I don't have peace about that. She just doesn't deserve it. Don't, I don't have peace. She hasn't earned it. Maybe you're saying. And I hear you. But what did God say? What, what does God say to you? I just don't have peace about submitting to my husband. I, I just don't. I hear you. I hear you. The, the world is counseling you. Satan is at work. And in fact, many people don't even believe that that word submit should even be in the Bible. As you guys they find it cruel and, and, and unkind and outdated. Old-fashioned. Some are even saying, I just don't have peace about going to church right now. I don't have peace about that. I have a lot of peace with just, just being at home and, and watching online. 
It's been, it's been a year and a half. And some people haven't, haven't been among the saints in a year and a half. Now, I understood this last year. I get it. Right? You know, we closed. Like, like I, I, I get it. But at what point, at what point does it become like, like almost a, a level? I was speaking with um, Antoine and Jason about this, but at what point is it almost like a, almost in the category of persecution? Right? Like, like I, I wonder how we would react if we were persecuted. I'm curious as to how, like, what would we do if we were under persecution? Would we just stay home? I, I, I mean, I, because it's been a year and a half now, and, and, and now we're at the point where it's like, okay, now this is kind of like disobedience now. Okay, now, I do understand there are some people, I understand, there are some people where, where it, is, it, is, um, it is really dangerous, health issues, Someone, I get it. But I'm, 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 I'm mainly speaking to, to those who have just become complacent. They go to work, they go to the grocery store, but they become complacent with just worshipping online. I, I think at this point I can say that you're in disobedience. Because now we've, we've rejected and neglected Hebrews, God's word to us that says, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. And I think, I think a year and a half, two years, yeah, you've, you've pretty much forsaken that command. Proverbs 15.10 says, harsh, harsh correction is for him that forsakes the way. Harsh correction for him that forsakes the way. The way. Verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so, so that the ship was about to be broken up. God's sovereignty over the wind, the sea, and the boat. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. We see God's sovereignty over the wind, the sea, and the boat. Verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. And we need to understand that there was unrecoverable loss here. And this is all because of Jonah. Okay. These, these men, by the way, they were heading somewhere. These men had a purpose, and the wrong person got on their boat. And now Jonah's issues became their issues. So just a, just a real quick, quick side note. Be careful who you let on your boat. <laughs> Be careful who you invite into your life. I'm, I'm serious. Be careful who you surround yourself with, who you hang out with. Be very, very careful. Because they can change the course of your life. And I, you know, I, I used to share this with the youth at the juvenile detention center all the time. All the time. The company that you keep. And, and, and so, so many of them, um, 
by the time that we were done our, our, our mentoring sessions, um, they, they felt excited to go back in the world. But this was their issue, though. Their issue was separating from the old crowd. And I told them, if you don't do that, you will be back here. The first person that I ever mentored had, had been there before I mentored him. He was in there six, seven times. He was, he was 17 years old. And they gave him, him to me, but he was in there six or seven times before. First time was like 12, 13. And just, just back, 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 back. So you have to change your crowd. Side note. So there was unrecoverable loss. They, they threw all their goods into the seat. It's gone. That's not coming back. Their, their, their own plan and wisdom and strength to lighten the load failed. That was their plan. They said, all right, what we've got to do is lighten the load. If we, if we lighten the load, right, then the, then the ship is going to um, be higher on the waters and we have less chance of sinking. So their own wisdom, their own plan, their own strength to lighten the load didn't work. Verse 6, so the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. So they, previously, they, they are calling on, on their gods. But their religion couldn't help them. Their, their religion could not help them. So they come to Jonah and say, hey, why don't you call on your God? Because nothing's happening when we call on our gods. So would you please call on yours? What kind of commitment was that to their God that never answered prayer? Verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So now they're questioning him. Interrogation now. And we see here, and I'm just moving through this, we see here God's sovereignty in the casting of lots. The casting of lots is, is basically a chance. It's a, it's a chance thing, and there were different things that they would do, but basically it's chance. But God's sovereignty was in the casting of lots. The lot is cast, the Bible says, into the lap of, of the Lord, but every decision, the, the, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is of the Lord. So we see God's sovereignty there. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are, are you? So he said to them, verse 9, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So we see uh, God's sovereignty over all creation. He said, I fear the Lord. He's the God of heaven. He made the heavens. He made the sea and he made the dry land. That's, that's the God who I serve. He made the heavens, the sea, and the dry land. 
Jonah says, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Doesn't seem like he fears God, huh? Since he's running from him. But I actually, I actually wonder, though, if, if Jonah was fearful of the people of Nineveh. You know, we must fear God more than we fear people, right? And it's not being afraid of God, right? But it's a, it's a reverence and an honor and a respect for him. And I, I wonder, though, possibility, right? I wonder if, if Jonah um, was fearful of the people of Nineveh. We spoke about them. They were a brutal people. Is it possible that, that Jonah did fear the Lord with reverence? That was until he, he feared the Assyrian people more than he feared God. And when he feared the Assyrians more than he feared God, that he said, I can't, I can't go. God told the, the major prophet, Jeremiah, right? Don't be afraid. Don't look at their faces. What might they have done to Jonah in Nineveh if they didn't like his message? His message of judgment to them, what might they have done to him? Right? It's something to consider. He's calling out their, their sins and their wickedness, speaking of their destruction. So maybe he was afraid. But Isaiah should have also been written around Jonah's time. And, and Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Isaiah 43, verse 2 and 3, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you pass through the fire, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Matthew 10.28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So we see God's, God's hand. God caused the storm and he caused it for a reason. And then finally, 10 through 16, salvation after the storm. Salvation after the storm. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. This is beautiful. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Salvation after the storm. In verse 11, they, they want answers from Jonah. It's interesting how these, um, how these unbelievers are rebuking 
Jonah for running from the Lord. They're like, man, why'd you do that for? Why'd you run from God? Right? It's, just, it's just interesting. Um, but they want answers. Right? They, they, they want answers. And then verse 12, they get the solution to their problem. This is the solution. Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and the sea will become for you. We also see here uh, Jonah's stubbornness here. You know Jonah could have repented here? Jonah could have just, just repented here and said, man, I'm, I'm, I'll go to Nineveh. But he says, throw me in the sea. He's like, man, I'll, I'll rather die than go to Nineveh. Right? I'm not going to Nineveh. <laughs> I ain't going. <laughs> I guarantee you I ain't going. Throw me in the sea because I'm not going to Nineveh. So, so Jonah almost has some kind of death wish here. But he's like, I, I'm, I'm not going. He, he was stubborn. He was very, very, very stubborn. But, but the solution to their problem is, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become for you. Um, and that's also, side note, right? When you get those people out of your life that's not, that's not supposed to be in there, things usually um, are better. Amen? <laughs> so, but I know that this great tempest is because of me, right? So, um, John 11.50 says, Now consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. I, I kind of see here, like, like Jonah's almost almost kind of like a sacrifice for the people. And we'll, next week, we'll get to Jonah 2 and we'll hear what Jesus says about Jonah and how he, he compares himself to, um, to Jonah. Uh, but Jonah's almost like a, like a sacrifice for the people. And, and it just reminds me of John 11.50. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. So Jonah, basically, he, he, he takes it. He says, man, throw me in the water, you guys will be good. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. You guys understand here that right now they're not rowing against the waves, Right? Right now, they're rowing against God. They're not rowing against the waves. They're rowing against God. And they couldn't do it. It's like Saul kicking against the goads. That Jesus told him, hey, you can't do this. You're fighting against me. It's not going to work for you. Proverbs 12, Proverbs 21, 30. No human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. No human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. They had a, a whole plan here. And they know what they need to do, but they don't want to do it. Jonah tells them, throw me into the sea. But the Bible says, nevertheless, they say, actually, even though we know the solution to our problem, we're going to ignore it. And we're going to proceed. And again, in their own strength, they, they still tried to row with Jonah on the boat, and it couldn't happen. Verse, four, verse 14, Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it 
pleased you. Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Psalm 115 and verse 3, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. So they cry out against they cry out to the Lord now. Incredible. They're, they're speaking. There's a shift. And we're getting ready to close here. There, there's a shift. These men are speaking to the sovereign God. They have abandoned their gods. And now they are praying to Him. They are speaking to Him. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Well, look at that. The sea ceased from its raging. Reminds me of Mark 4. When they saw Jesus... And the Bible says they feared exceedingly and they said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then finally, verse 16 is where we close today. Then the men feared the Lord. Verse 16. Hear this. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Incredible. Salvation after the storm. We see God's hand and His sovereignty all throughout the story. Jonah goes to a place where he's not supposed to go to. He ends up on a ship that he's not supposed to be on. But in Jonah's disobedience, in Jonah not wanting to, to preach to the Gentiles, in his disobedience, actually, is the conduit that brings salvation to the sailors. And these men, they feared the Lord exceedingly. Like, like they, they jumped in. They jumped in and said, man, he, he is God. They, they saw what he did. And they said, He is God. Like the book of Nezah, Right? They said, He is God. The same revelation that Nebuchadnezzar had when the Hebrew men were taken out of the fire. All things work together for the good, the Bible says, of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Amen? Let's stand up, please. The sovereignty of God is again recognized by, by the sailors. The sailor said, you did as it pleased you. The sovereignty of God caused the storm. The sovereignty of God in the selection of the lots. The sovereignty of God in the ending of the storm. The sovereignty of God 
to bring grace through Jonah to the sailors. And God not only brings grace through Jonah, but he also brings grace to Jonah that we will discover next week as we pick up in verse 17 and go into chapter 2. Bow your heads, please. Just take a moment and, and think about the word that you heard this morning and what it has spoken to you. The men were grateful. They offered up sacrifices to the Lord and they made vows to Him. A type of salvation is clearly seen here. We went through a lot today. And I pray that the word of the Lord will stay with you. That you won't be able to shake it off. That it will be with you every day this week. Every hour this week, every minute this week, every second this week. You will think about your obedience to Him. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you are in disobedience, if you are in your sin, if you think that you know better than God, but today you realize that you don't. The Bible simply says this. The Bible says, For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and keeping it simple today the the sailors they recognized him as God they they forsook their way their sin their idols their fake gods and they turned and they looked to God so I'm calling you all this morning those online and those in this room to turn and to look to God and to call upon him for salvation is only found in his name He sent His Son to come, to live, and to die, and to rise again for He took the punishment and the penalty for you so that you wouldn't have to. Just like Jonah was thrown into the sea for the salvation of the sailors, Jesus went to the cross and died for you and bled so that you wouldn't have to. And if you can humble yourself and acknowledge Him as Lord this morning, then He will save you in this place, those in the room and those online. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the reading of it. We thank You for the privilege that we have and the access that we have to it. In Jesus' name. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.